Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Sam Page led St. Louis County through the worst of the coronavirus pandemic. But the way he made some key decisions, including public health orders, led to splits with the council that have yet to heal. The incumbent Democrat joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about improving those relationships, spending the rest of pandemic federal aid, and reducing crime. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lippman. Joining me today in studio are... Jason Merzenbaum. And our guest today joining us is... St. Louis County Executive Sam Page. And Dr. Page, why do you think that you deserve a full four-year term as county executive? Well, I think I've done a pretty good job of leading St. Louis County through some historically difficult times. I've appreciated the opportunity to serve, and uh, serving as county executive is, uh, is really an extension of my medical practice. When patients come into my operating room or, or medical office, I can help them one at a time, and the decisions I make in county government allows me to help people in large groups, and I enjoy it. So during that last race in 2020 to fill out the rest of the term that you're serving, you had three opponents in the Democratic primary. How does having just one direct opponent change your path to victory? Well, I think the biggest difference uh, this time really is that I've got a record, and I'm running as, uh, as someone who's served now for three years in this office. And folks have a chance to evaluate uh, my actions and the things that I've done and the difficult situations that I've dealt with and the results of those. Why do you think you're a better candidate than Jane Duker? Well, for Democratic primary voters, it's pretty straightforward. My values and issues, things I forward, the things I've been for, line up with Democratic primary voters and with the things that Democrats value, with support for working families, with uh, support for abortion rights, with uh, a track record of support for environmental and conservation issues, um, support for public safety, all these things that are important to Democratic primary voters. I think that's a big difference in this race. So over the last several months, you've had one former staffer indicted for the way he handled as a county uh, council staffer uh, trying to get uh, small business grants to uh, two businesses in the district. And then one of your staffers resigned ahead of the news coming out that he had recorded himself participating in a sex act in the county building. What would you say to people that say those hires reflect on you or, or reflect, you know, you made those hires, those were poor decisions, and now that reflects poorly on you? Well, we live in um, uh, difficult times for sure. I have 3,800 employees, and I can't be uh, responsible for the bad decisions of all of them. And uh, some of those bad decisions are pretty high profile. Uh, the one employee who was um, uh, trying to uh, falsify documents unsuccessfully 
to defraud the county of CARES funds uh, was fired immediately. The other one resigned before I could terminate him after I discovered uh, that the Highway Patrol had been to visit him. As far as uh, the criticisms, the criticisms have come really uh, daily or weekly since my last election. They haven't stopped, and that's the political environment we're in. And uh, we're deciding and discussing as a country um, how much conflict and confrontation we think is appropriate in, in government. This is not the first county executive administration to have scandals, although the last one was directly connected to the county executive himself. But what do you say to people who are looking at the city, the county, everything that's going on and saying, we just don't trust government in general right now to be acting in our best interests? Well, the responsibility of government is when you see something wrong, you do something about it. Uh, That's what I've done when I've seen uh, some of these uh, bad decisions be made under my watch. Um, One of the things that should inspire trust is that even though we had a county employee who was attempting to defraud the CARES fund um, uh, from uh, COVID relief funds, that the processes we put into place prevented that. And that was very clear in uh, in the indictment papers that the person trying to do that was unsuccessful. He was unsuccessful because uh, we set up uh, an accounting firm to review all the applications. We had a law firm here in town design the applications, and then we had a second accounting firm come in and compare the receipts to the original documents to make sure that the use of funds was appropriate. And so do you know that it was this practice that caught these falsified applications, or could it have been that they just thought this business shouldn't have gotten this money, you know, for whatever reason, that there just wasn't enough funding available for it? The falsified applications weren't accepted because they didn't meet our criteria that we had set up in the application process. There was a lot of talk about hopes and dreams of falsifying applications, and those intentions are criminal, but they weren't successful. Why did you continue to work as an anesthesiologist after you became county executive? Well, it's important to me to maintain my skills as an anesthesiologist, and uh, that requires a minimal amount of time that is, uh, doesn't impact my duties as county executive, and it's part of who I am. I think the, my job as a, my experience as a physician has uh, given me uh, a perspective that is unique to this office. And prior to the pandemic, uh, St. Louis County has a, a really significant and dramatic and important public health footprint in the county. And my, my uh, experience as a physician helps me understand that and prioritize that. The um, drama around that uh, was really more of a personal attack than anything substantive. Now, there has been a new charter amendment that says that if you continue to work a second job, you could be thrown out of office. And you have since resigned your position with the anesthesiologist group you were with. Is that correct, first of yeah, all? Yeah, I'm on a, 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 a permanent leave of absence while I'm serving as county executive. I won't be um, employed or working uh, for a contract as an anesthesiologist, but I do continue to volunteer as an anesthesiologist or as a medical doctor because that's part of who I am and that's something that I can do in my free time. Did the passage of that charter amendment give you any pause about running again, given that you, it is a loss of income for you for not to not be able to do that work for money anymore? Well, I think um, folks get really worked up about um, how much uh, physicians make or doctors make when they work. The uh, really the income that I made on the side <laughs> one one weekend a month as as an anesthesiologist was was really uh, more than either Rachel or I make in a year most no, likely I, but <laughs> I, I doubt that but we um, we certainly uh, 
we certainly can talk about those things. But uh, the reason why I did that was to maintain my skill set to go back and see my friends and because I enjoy being a doctor. Why do you have such an adversarial relationship with the St. Louis County Council? It seems like regardless of who the county executive is, whether it's Charlie Dooley, Steve Stanger, or Sam Page, this has become a reoccurring theme in county government. Well, actually, I was... Um, enjoyed a pretty significant honeymoon after I was appointed as county executive, in part because I came from the council and um, and got us through some very difficult times and was rebuilding the county um, be, uh, after Steve Stinger. But really what, um, what uh, amplified the probably natural um, sort of uh, conflict between an executive and legislative branch was the pandemic. And we saw this all over the country. And we, we even saw it at, in the end in, in school boards. And these very difficult decisions around public health uh, become partisan. And in St. Louis County, we have a partisan divide on our county council, and those partisan um, reflexes were in full force. The opposition, though, to COVID wasn't just from the opposite party. You had opponents to your policies from your own party who were pushing back pretty hard and represented the deciding votes. What was going on there? Well, I think you have to, to talk to them. They, they talked a lot about process, but I think there was initially uh, a divide, a philosophical divide. I think there were some folks who were Democrats on the county council that initially didn't understand or recognize the importance of these public health orders, the wide, wide acceptance they had in the health system and among uh, their districts. And when they heard from their districts, they changed their positions and um, accepted them. How do you feel that your health department's actions during like the last couple of years, 2021 and 2022, changed the course of the pandemic in St. Louis County? I think you have to go back um, and look at the data that we have. And there is um, an article published in the Journal of the Medi American Medical Association in September of 2021 that was um, a, re a research article by, Was by Washington University physicians that um, outlined the impact of the Safer at Home orders that we implemented in, in March of 2020. And the, the uh, result of that study um, was to indicate that um, if we would have waited another two weeks to issue those safer at home orders, then another 2,500 residents in St. Louis County would have would have died. And uh, you know, folks can ask me about my opinion or others' folks' opinion or what people think, but a peer-reviewed uh, journal article published by Washington University, I think, says a lot. That's 2020, though. Looking at the later course of the pandemic, as vaccines became more available to the public, and you kept some of the, some of the orders in place, how do you think the mask mandate, for example, in 2021, where there wasn't really enforcement, actually made a difference? The same fundamental principles that guided our decisions in 2020 um, guided our decisions in the subsequent years. We turned to the pandemic task force for advice. We turned to the health department experts for advice. We followed the recommendations from the CDC, and they evolved with emerging science and emerging discoveries. And uh, I would expect that the results of our decisions save lives and helped people in the county. Um, the, it will be uh, difficult to quantify that because over time COVID uh, was not wreaking havoc on our community as it was early on. But it's still, even in the second wave in 2021, it's still, uh, even, even that second wave caused more devastation than the first. I mean, COVID is still 
going on right now. In fact, I recovered from COVID five or six weeks ago, and my uh, middle son, Declan, actually recovered from COVID two weeks ago. But it doesn't really seem like the public appetite for like occupancy restrictions and mask requirements is the same as it was two years ago or even a year ago. So like, let's just say the B5 wave, which is going on right now, spikes even more. Like, how are how is your administration prepared to respond to that particular situation? Well, my administration will always respond um, through the guidance of the public health department, the pandemic task force, and the CDC. What we see now is a very different COVID, um, and we have we see a community that's much more prepared to deal with COVID. Uh, we have a, a, a we have in St. Louis County we have the highest vaccination rate in the state. Uh, for a county, uh, our health systems are much, much better at taking care of, of, of patients with COVID. When they do get COVID, uh, the vaccination or previous immunity protects them from serious illness and death. Uh, we still have people who get sick and die from COVID, but uh, the rate is much, much less than it ever was. So COVID is a very different disease than it was now, and that's why the response as recommended by our public health experts has been different. So what is county government doing to get people knowledgeable about therapeutics. I understand that they don't give out things like Shield for immunocompromised people or Paxlovid for high-risk people. But just anecdotally, I took Paxlovid after I got COVID, and a lot of people found out about that, and they asked me how to get it. And I'm kind of thinking, this is the responsibility of public health officials, not St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum. Like, what is county government doing to make people aware of these types of things that could save their lives? I think that um, you'll find that folks get their healthcare information from uh, traditional and non-traditional sources, mostly from their own doctor, and um, uh, sometimes from family members. Uh, St. Louis County has um, a responsibility first to um, provide for public health policy and guidance for the community in a broader sense, and then in a more narrow sense for uh, to take care of people who don't have insurance or access to healthcare. And our health department is um, working to get folks vaccinated. They're working to get the word out on public health measures, but as, um, as therapeutics change, as practice changes, a lot of that's gonna be driven by our health systems. Those are very volatile and very um, fast-breaking advances. Do you stand by your decision to request the authority to appropriate the original CARES Act, not the ARPA pot, but that original yeah. uh, block of federal relief money? Yeah, that was... Um, that was an emergency situation. Uh, we had initially, we thought we had five or six months to spend that money, uh, and it was uh, over $100 million, $170 million that we had to spend very quickly or send it back. And the federal government designed it that way to force local governments to push it out into the community and to deal with the three prongs of the COVID response, which was public health, humanitarian relief. We're especially concerned about hum humanitarian relief and, and economic re recovery and, and uh, economic support. Um, the subsequent CARES funds um, have different parameters. Uh, the um, subsequent ARPA funds uh, are, are um, required to be appropriated within three years to be spent within five. We can be much more deliberative with those funds, and it requires a different process. So when you were last on this program in 2020, you mentioned that you wanted to make sure that predominantly black parts of St. Louis County were not left behind in the uh, you know, in getting relief from COVID. Um, what has your administration done to fulfill that promise? Well, we've worked extraordinarily hard to get the message out into our disadvantaged communities and those that um, have had uh, difficulties in accessing health care. 
We have great partnerships. We've had great partnerships from the beginning. We've had a, a task force to put together. It's led by Damien Brodus, who is uh, working through churches, through barbershops, through beauty salons to get the word out on vaccines and, um, and uh, the other uh, healthcare um, options that are available through the health department. We've prioritized funding to the health department. A lot of our COVID funds have been directed to the health department and the requests I've sent to the county council um, were mostly to send funds to the areas that needed help the most. Those are 18 targeted zip codes in St. Louis County and 16 of them are in North County. I checked the percentage of how many people have been fully vaccinated in St. Louis County, 64%, which is higher than St. Charles County, higher than the city of St. Louis. But that still means 36% of St. Louis County hasn't received a vaccine. What is your administration doing to deal with like the vexing problem of vaccine hesitancy? Well, vaccine hesitancy is a problem in our country. And we've had an outreach group um, working on vaccine hesitancy now for over a year, a year and a half. Uh, they're working through community partners, through churches, through um, community groups, through nonprofits, through um, our network of FQHCs. Uh, we have a lot of folks out in the community talking about vaccines and why they're important, and we're working hand-in-hand -hand with the medical community and the health systems. Vaccine hesitancy is uh, in part a political problem for our country. Uh, it's a cultural problem, and I think we have to be respectful. We have to listen to the folks that have reservations. Um, generally, uh, those opinions change if someone in their family or a friend has a bad experience with COVID, and we have to continue to be patient, continue to talk, uh, talk to them, and continue to work with them. So Jason and I both sat through a lot of county council meetings and listened to a lot of, quite frankly, ridiculous comments from the public that had no basis in science. And you sit through public comment a lot, too, as a member of as the county executive. And I'm wondering, you're a doctor. Your career has been based on science and just what your reaction was to listening to some of what these individuals were saying about masks, vaccines, et cetera. Well, the county council became really the epicenter of um, anti-vaccine uh, rhetoric and um, really, um, really, really a confrontational response to COVID. It's hard to understand um, why that was a case other than our council was uh, was deeply divided on the issue, that there was a lot of uh, partisan energy behind it, and there was a lot of encouragement from some council members. And that uh, created a, a welcoming environment. And then what developed um, soon after that was if, if the room is packed with folks that don't have a mask and that are angry and upset, uh, folks who disagree with them aren't going to want to be in that room, and you're not going to hear from them. And that's what happened. Why was the COVID policy situation more contentious in St. Louis County than in the city of St. Louis? I think that's pretty straightforward. We have a close partisan divide on the county council. Um, this became partisan from the presidency to state governments all over America, and it played out in a partisan way in St. Louis County, and uh, you, saw, um, you saw that partisan amplification. One of the other major issues that has come up alongside COVID, just in campaigns in general over the last two years has been crime. And we've had a number of both Republicans and Democrats from the county on the podcast that have said Proposition P, that was this half cent sales tax for public safety, has failed to significantly reduce crime, do what it was promised to do. Do you agree with that? Well, Proposition P was uh, a very important um, historical event in St. Louis County because it provided $50 million a year and then some every year for public safety, the vast majority of that, almost the entirety of that went for police, um, 
the police department, and most of that went for police officer salaries. And that was uh, very important to, to significantly advance our ability to recruit and retain uh, police officers in St. Louis County. But police officers own, um, and more police officers aren't the only solution to um, crime. It's part of it, and it's an important part of it. But the, um, uh, you know, the plan that was released by the Missouri uh, Chamber of Commerce a couple of months ago really outlines the model that we're all going to follow in Missouri moving forward. It has broad support. Uh, it uh, talks about a lot of things besides um, investing in the police department. There's uh, attention to uh, criminal justice reform, to workforce development, to affordable housing, to um, uh, job availability. There's, there's a lot of pieces to, um, uh, to uh, a crime plan. Uh, as you see what's been done in St. Louis County, uh, the prosecuting attorney, Wesley Bell, has developed uh, mental health and substance abuse diversion prior to prosecution, and that's been a big advancement in St. Louis County. And even our county jail, our residents are uh, provided job training before they leave, so they can leave to a job. And we know that the folks in St. Louis County that are committing crimes right now, um, half of them were once in jail. So when they pass through jail, we have an opportunity to point them in a better direction, and that's a big part of our crime plan. Do you think that too much got diverted towards other things like employees at the Justice Center when, as you mentioned, it was, you know, marketed as for uh, police salaries, two-man cars, et cetera? So Proposition P was originally offered for um, law enforcement and police only. In order to get support, the uh, language uh, prior to my involvement was um, was changed to say public safety. And that gave it the political support it needed to get through the council because it could provide some help for salaries for corrections officers in the jail and for prosecuting attorneys. And so uh, public safety uh, depends on your perspective. It was, uh, it was a public safety sales tax. Most of public safety is the police department. And uh, the vast majority of this, well over 90% of Prop P has gone uh, to the police department. If you are elected to a full four-year term, what is your administration's plans to try and reduce crime in St. Louis County? Any, anything in specific? We're going to continue to implement the recommendations of the Teneo report. Um, I asked uh, Teneo to come and review um, our county police department uh, two years ago, and they spent a year here in review, and they spent almost a year in implementing some of their recommendations. Uh, their plan is public. It's um, uh, really uh, provided us with a lot of good re recommendations on promotions, on procedures, on policies, on the way police officers interact with each other and with the public. Uh, we have a very good county police department. We always have, but we know that we can make it better, and we're going to do that. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to work to implement the uh, plan that's been proposed by the Missouri Chamber of Commerce that the governor was um, promoting a couple of weeks ago. I would encourage everyone to read that. There's a lot of really good things in there. It's not just about uh, funding for the police department, which is an important part of the plan, but there are many, many things in that plan that will need to be addressed. A crucial part of implementing that plan is going to be the Board of Police Commissioners. You have primarily appointed most of those members, if not all of the members, and they were the ones who ended up selecting Mary Barton as St. Louis County Police Chief. It's accepted, I don't know if it's universal truth, but pretty widely accepted that her tenure wasn't successful. Do you bear responsibility for that at all? Are your nominees on that board who picked her? 
Well, I appoint a lot of people to a lot of boards and commissions. We have uh, about 400 or so folks that I appoint and about 70 boards and commissions. One of the most important is the police board. Um, I can set the policy. I can tell them what I'm looking for, but they get to make the decision. Uh, they, um, I think they're doing a pretty good job. I think the police board's doing a pretty good job. I think our new police chief, Ken Gregory, is doing a really good job, and we're going to move forward. There's a lot of lawsuits around how the police department has handled things. Is the police department really doing a good job internally? or? Well, there's um, a lot of litigation in our world today. There's um, a lot of litigation around government and all local governments across the country, uh, state government and federal government. And that is, an, unfortunately, one way we solve conflicts. A better way to solve conflicts is to have uh, uh, mediation processes and have policies and procedures in place that, um, that allow them to be solved without uh, going to court. And we're implementing a lot of that now. We're making a lot of changes. That takes time. Uh, a lot of lawsuits take years to move through the courts, and it's years before the decision that was made um, even appears publicly that, that triggers the lawsuit. So these things take a long time. I think that's unfortunately um, um, where we are as a country. And, um, you know, we hope to be able to, to resolve our conflicts with less litigation, sure, like everyone does. And we'll be right back after this quick break. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking with County Executive Sam Page. And Dr. Page, you do have, I think it's what, about $70 million left in American Rescue Plan Act dollars to distribute. What is your priority for that remaining money? Well, I think first we should look at... Um, the uh, funds that have been sent to us by the state. I worked pretty closely with the Majority Floor Leader and Senator Brian Williams to identify the priorities for St. Louis County, and they were able to deliver on those public safety, money for UMSL, some ec economic development funds, um, workforce development funds for the um, uh, Metropolitan Education and Training Center that's a St. Louis County um, uh, process. So um, first, I think we should look at, at making sure that we have the funds available to match those. I think we should hold some of them back in reserve and see what next year brings. This is, um, you know, th this is a revenue stream. This is a funding source that um, uh, is required to be appropriated within three years and spent within five. So, um, you know, we want to get the money moving in the community. We want to put it to work, but we also understand that we can hold some of it back still. If you do hold it back, you mentioned it has to be spent by 2026, and once you spend it, it's gone. What do you do if you're using it as a surplus and then the next, or as, as a hole filler, and then the next year there's an even bigger hole to fill and you don't have money available? Well, I think we have to look three to five years down the road in the budget process, and I think the council's uh, starting to do that. Uh, the council has appropriation authority, and they give us permission to spend. It's up to me to, um, to execute that appropriation authority and, and make sure that uh, the funds are in place um, in a strategic and long-term way. Now, now, continue, Rachel. How are you going to, how are conversations going to get the council on board with your priorities? Because as we've talked earlier on the podcast, it's not always the best relationship. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, conflict uh, draws attention. And uh, 
we've done a great deal in the past three years in St. Louis County. I would encourage folks to Google uh, the St. Louis uh, County Annual Report, and there's a really extensive list of accomplishments that really haven't attracted much attention because there wasn't conflict around them, and the conflict is what draws attention. So although we, we hear a lot about the county council and, and the conflict around the county council, those are really mostly over small things, sometimes over big things, but mostly over small things. And uh, we're, we're able to accomplish a great deal. And when we agree on things, we'll get them done. And when we don't, we'll work it out. Uh, this money has to be appropriated. So it eventually will be done. And it'll be a compromise. Is there fear, like, in the next couple of years that there's going to be, like, such a, such a daunting budget deficit and then all this federal money will be accounted for that the county is going to have to, like, drastically cut back on services or think about raising property taxes? Well, since 2007, um, since the recession, the county has been spending ahead of its um, uh, revenue stream. And so this message has been the same for 12 years, 14 years in county government. Uh, we're spending ahead of our revenue stream. We've been able to stay um, afloat in part by um, being very cautious by delaying, uh, delaying hires, by delaying filling um, uh, vacancies in county government, and by technology upgrades. So what I've done in the past couple of years is try to use these, uh, care, these CARES funds and the ARPA funds in a way to uh, make technology advancements that bring more efficiencies to county government, and then we'll provide operational savings over time. So I know that you may not be privy to talk about the RAM settlement right now because it's still in negotiation, but is it, is it your mindset that St. Louis County should get an equal share with the city and the RSA? Um, you are correct. Um, I am not at liberty to discuss the details of uh, an ongoing um, legal conversation. However much money you get from that RAM settlement, whether it's half of the pool or however that money ends up getting divvied up, that's a pot of money that can sit. It can go wherever. As far as I know, there's going to be no time restrictions on when it's supposed to be sent unless that's part of whatever deal is eventually worked out. How should another one-time pot of money, but with less restrictions than ARPA, be spent in the county? Well, in a general sense, I think uh, um, a one-time source of money for the county without a time limitation um, on when it's spent can be invested and then we can think a little bit about what the right plan forward is when we have a long-term plan for the operational side of county government. Did the fact that St. Louis County chose not to participate financially in the Riverfront Stadium, have any? should it have any bearing over these negotiations? Uh, that's a nice try, Jason, but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried you my tried. best. You tried. You did. You, a, a for effort there, Jason. Let's do a quick lightning round here. Do you support having a council manager who would, among other things, help make decisions on or, or uh, procedurals for county contracts? Well, I think you're talking about a county manager form of government. And for St. Louis County, um, I, I think the right um, path forward is a charter that we currently have, a county executive and county council. Although occasionally, historically, over the past 20 or 30 years, there's been some high profile conflicts. But in the end, I think it's the most accountable form of government. And the uh, voters have the closest relationship with the people who are in charge. Do you think that members of the St. Louis County Council should make more than $20,000 a year? Oh, sure. They haven't had a raise in a long time. It's politically difficult to uh, increase salaries for elected officials. 
And uh, I understand the politics of that. The state legislature had struggles with this every year. We've watched it since I was in college, and it's been a problem. <laughs> it's just before a, then. I, I, I used to live in Boone County, and Boone County commissioners made, I think, in excess of $100,000 a year. And it has blown my mind that people who represent districts which are almost the size of Boone County make $20,000 a year. Now, yes. A lot of those districts are municipalities and you don't have direct control over them. But even if you're like the most staunch person that's like, oh, politicians shouldn't deserve a pay raise, 20000 sees excessively low given how much they work. Well, it's, it's 20000 and they get health insurance for them and their families, which, um, as you know, is a, is a significant benefit, could be worth as much as $20,000 a year in this day and age. Um, they do have a small pension that's associated with that. Um, but it's uh, uh, reflective of their salary, which means it isn't much. But um, the bottom line is the underlying salary needs to change, and it's, there's just not an easy mechanism to do it because they have to vote for it, and it's politically difficult. Would you support the city of St. Louis becoming the 80th whatever municipality in St. Louis County? Well, I think there's a lot of um, details in that question, <laughs> to say the least. So uh, I do believe that there is a, a path for St. Louis City to be a municipality in St. Louis County, but the details will take years to work out. Um, how do you um, uh, how do you determine uh, responsibilities? How do you make sure that uh, this, the St. Louis City is responsible for its debt? Um, and uh, you know how do you um, merge county offices? There's a there's county offices are run a little bit differently. What I can do today in 2022, in the next four years, is to work with the city whenever possible, just like I work with the other leaders of the of the other of the counties that surround St. Louis County, to work with uh, uh, Mayor Jones whenever possible. And the three things that are the easiest are uh, public safety, economic development, and public health. So now that you have a more willing partner in the city with Tashara Jones, would you consider restarting the Board of Freeholders process and maybe doing incremental changes like merging certain departments? Or was that experience so traumatizing to you that you never want to... You, you didn't know. sit on those St. Louis City uh, Board of Aldermen hearings where they spent six and a half hours interviewing the Traumatizing candidates. for us, <laughs> maybe not traumatizing for you, Mr. County Executive. But like, is that, would you try doing that again? Well, the St. Louis County appointment process went pretty smoothly. It did. It went great. I, mean, I think we they actually done. met too, didn't they? I think they? we were done in three weeks. Uh, but the uh, appointment process in the city got hung up in, in uh, political process. And uh, if they choose to appoint uh, members of the Board of Freeholders, we'll meet. And I think some good things could come of it. For all of our coverage of the August primary, you can go to our website, stlpr.org. I'm on Twitter at R. Lipman. Jason, where can people find you? Jay Rosenbaum. Mr. County Executive, where can people find you? At Dr. Sam Page. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Until next time, so long.